you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? If you just kind of snap your fingers and that thing would be different, uh, what is it that you would choose to, to change? Uh, for, for me, one of those things has, has always been, you know, I would like to be more productive. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, we have limited time on this earth, limited days. There's only so many hours in a day, and I want to be able to use the most of every single one of them. If I'm honest, sometimes I can even uh, start leaning a little bit more towards an idol that I worship in my life, but I want, to, I want, I want my life to matter. I want, I want my days to count for, for something, and I want to make the most of every single one of them. And if I'm being a little transparent with you this morning, um, I'm also a little bit prone to procrastination. A- anyone else with me on that? Some of the real procrastinators of the room are like, yeah, I'll raise my hand later. Uh, <laughs> but you know that you deal with it. My motto in life for a while was, why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? Uh, actually, when I was in college, I was taking a, a preaching course, and we had to write a different sermon um, every, every week. And I got into this habit because it was, a, it was a busy season of life, poor time management skills, all of those things, procrastination, came to where I was turning in my sermons like a day or two later. And finally, the professor was like, you know, Sean, they're not going to come back on Monday. Uh, you, you need to be ready. <laughs> you need to make sure that your sermon's written and, and ready to go. Uh, so I, I kind of struggle with uh, time management and, and procrastination. And so I would love to change that. And in this pursuit to be better with that, uh, I went on this hunt for the perfect uh, task management app, like the perfect to-do list app that would help me with this. And so I did uh, free trials of all of these things, even spent some money before landing on the the one that I use today. And the irony of that is that I was probably less productive while I was looking for an app to make me more productive. And I was probably procrastinating from something too while I was doing that. (laughs) What is one thing, if you could change about yourself, about your life, what is one thing that, that you would change? We've probably all found this to be true, that change on paper is super easy. It's really easy to say, I am going to change this this year. Maybe you've even set some New Year's resolutions around that. Change on paper is easy. It's not hard. It's no big deal. Changing in real life, that's a little bit harder. Because here's the thing. Every single one of us, we have defaults. We have rhythms and routines in our life that we just kind of gravitate towards, whether we realize it or not. Some, some people call them ruts. We have these ruts that we get in that we have a hard time getting, getting out of. We have default settings. It's like when you get a new device, a new phone, a new computer, and, and you're setting it all up and it asks you what you want your, your default web browser to be, your default mail client to be. Then it just... It's automatic. Every time you open up a a link, it goes to that web browser that you chose. Every time you go to compose a new email, it uses that email client that you you chose. It's, It's your default settings. It just pops up. It's automatic. And the same is true for us. Like we all have default settings. We all have ways of thinking about ourselves and about others. We all have a way of feeling about ourselves and others. We all have a ways of acting that that have just kind of been formed in us over a long period of time. They've been shaped by our experiences. They've been reinforced by our habits, and now those things are automatic. They are just our default setting. This is what happened with my new 
to-do list app, (laughs) the one that I spent so much time searching for. I found the right app and I started using it, but quickly realized, oh, my lack of productivity is not the app's fault. Um, It's my fault. Like, I had to look in the mirror just a little bit. Like, why why isn't this app doing my to-do list for me? Really, that's what I was looking for. And I don't think that exists. If you know that it does, could you let me know? Because uh, I would really love to, to use that. That would, that would help out. <laughs> See, my project management app wasn't the problem. My time management was the problem. And that's a lot harder to change. And that's changing a default setting within me. There's this saying in recovering that, uh, that says, wherever you go, there you are. And I remember hearing that for the first time and going, Wow. That's deep, yep, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> if you kind of take a step back and you think about it a little bit more, that, that is actually incredibly profound. It, it means that you can change your surroundings. You can change what's happening outside of you. But until you address what's happening inside of you, wherever you go, there you are. The problem is still there because the problem is within you. (laughs) You're just transferring it from one place to another, one relationship to another, one to-do list app to another. Wherever you go, there you are carrying all of your baggage with you, all of those ruts, all of those defaults. When it comes to changing and living the life that we want to live, many of us have discovered the heart of the matter is that it's a matter of the heart. It's not just about what we do. It's not just about the exterior. It's about changing what is inside of us, about changing our heart. If we really want to experience lasting change, We need to stop focusing on the symptoms and start focusing on the source because that's where true change takes place. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in our text today. So if you have a Bible or Bible app that you like to use, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna start off in verse 20. Matthew chapter five, verse 20. We're in the second week of our series called Apex and we're uh, taking this, uh, this look at Jesus' first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, And in these chapters, Jesus kind of gives us a vision for his way of living, for what it looks like, you know, life in the kingdom of God, what it looks like. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and in in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus shows us what it looks like to live as people who are citizens of that kingdom. And the thesis statement of the entire sermon, the the dominant thought, if you will, is is our core verse for the week as we work through core 52. It's Matthew chapter five, verse 20. Jesus says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven that unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the professors, the, the scribes, the people who held scripture closely, unless you're more righteous than them, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Pharisees and the, the scribes, they were, they were seen as like the most religious people, the most righteous people around, that if, that if anyone is gonna be close to God, then certainly it's going to be, to be them. 
And so for Jesus to say, listen, unless you are more righteous than they are, you're not gonna be able to get into the kingdom. I imagine that would have left people saying, wow, Jesus, then what chance do we have? Like that sounds impossible. I don't think this is fully what Jesus means, though. Jesus is talking about how we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. The whole point of the sermon is that the kingdom of heaven is near, it's close, it's at hand, it's attainable. He's, he's inviting us into that kind of life. And so I don't think that he's trying to confuse us. I don't think he's trying to crush us under the weight of rules and obligations and good works. I think he's trying to show us the way to enter into and to live in God's kingdom. And the point is that we cannot do it on our own. You cannot do it on your own. I cannot do it on my own. The word righteousness means to be as you ought to be, to live as you ought to live. And scripture makes it very clear that the only one who is who as he ought to be is, is the Father, is God. And the righteousness that we can have is through faith in Jesus and the righteousness that he gives to us, faith in his life, death, and resurrection. And he gives us his righteousness. That's the view of righteousness that Jesus has when he says this. We cannot attain it on our own. But then out of that righteousness, Jesus goes on to say that we can live and act and treat others in a way that is righteous. We can be good people who do good things that live the good life, people who love God and love others the way that God intends. It's not that we ought to live that way and try harder to live that way. It's that we can live that way because of the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and the grace of Jesus that is guiding us. We can't get these two things mixed up. We don't become righteous because of the things that we do. We are righteous because of our faith in Jesus and then that righteousness produces good works that we live out. So how does this happen? In verse 21 through 48, Jesus launches into six different case studies of what this righteous life looks like, what life in the kingdom consists of. It's a vision for life as he desires it to be and, and, and life as he desires to give to us. And we see very early on that Jesus is not interested in external appearances. He's not interested in external factors and in, in simple behavior modification, making us good people. And Jesus looks into our heart because that's where true change begins. We're not gonna look at all six of these. If you're following along in the, in the reading for Core 52, you'll spend a little bit of time with each one this week. But I do wanna look at the first one because I think it kind of gives us a blueprint for how to interpret the other ones and, and how to apply them. Look at it with me, Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 21. So Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So let's kind of stop right there. In each of these case studies, Jesus starts off with, you've heard that it was said, and then he says, but I tell you. And so he, he points back to the law. He points back to their maybe interpretation of the law, and he says, you know this, but now I'm telling you. And Jesus is giving us his interpretation of it his application of it. He, he's giving us what the law truly means and what the intent of it was for. And he does this because, because here's the thing. We can look at Matthew 5.21 and we can read that command, you shall not murder, and go, well, check. 
I mean, I must be a good, righteous, moral person because I haven't murdered anyone. (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) And that was the attitude that the Pharisees had, these religious leaders who were focused on only following the rules and, and on their external appearances. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, that's good. But like, what's going on in your heart? What about what's happening inside of you? After all, the heart of the matter is that it's a matter of the heart, right? And the Pharisees wanted to do the right thing and be seen by others doing the right thing, but their inner life went totally unchanged. They're doing the right thing, but they're not becoming the right people. Back to Matthew chapter 24, Jesus calls the Pharisees uh, whitewashed tombs. He, he, in the scathing kind of criticism of the Pharisees and evaluation of them, He says, you are whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside you are filled with death and decay. See, the command to not murder is about value and dignity of human life. Just because you don't murder someone doesn't mean that you are as you ought to be in your relationship with that person. That your heart is in the right place in your relationship with them. And so if someone says, hey, you know what? I noticed that you've been gossiping about this person a lot, slandering them in, in, front, of, in front of others. It seems like you have a lot of anger built up towards them. Are you, are you okay? And you're like, nah, yeah, we're, we're good. I mean, I haven't killed them. <laughs> like, clearly something is going on. Yeah, it hasn't gotten to that extreme, but clearly you're not right with them. You're not right in your own heart. You're not right with God because of that anger that you're harboring. So Jesus looks through the external command and he looks into our hearts. What's really going on inside of us? And so let me just take us where Jesus takes us. How's your heart? Are you harboring anger or resentment towards anyone right now? that comes spilling out onto others. Is there there a resentment that just kind of simmers underneath the surface of your life? Do you find yourself keeping that anger alive by replaying the, the pain kind of on this constant loop in your mind? maybe reliving that conversation, maybe rehearsing what you should have said, what you would have said if only, or or what you're going to say the next time you see that person. Or am I the only one that does that sometimes? (laughs) Where's your heart today, right now? Have you had one of those conversations in your mind already? Is there an anger? Is there something living in you that that needs to be dealt with? Because it's a matter of your heart and God is after your heart because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to give you freedom and grace from that. Jesus is saying, listen, if that's going on, that's not good, that's not healthy for you, for your relationship with that person, for your relationship with the Lord, that's not the righteous living, the kingdom life that God desires for you. 
And you can put on a smile and you can be fake nice to that person, but things aren't right. Your internal world doesn't match up with your external world. And Jesus would say, that's the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. That's why their righteousness isn't good enough because it's not about our actions. It's about our heart and nothing can change our heart except for the grace of God. He goes on and says in verse 22, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which if I were to use like kind of an English version of what that word is, I might be fired this afternoon. But Jesus is using it right here in his sermon. There's many reasons why I like this guy. (laughs) If you say to them, raka, it's answerable in court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell. See, it all comes down to devaluing the image of God on someone, not giving their life the value and the worth that they deserve as image bearers of the Father. And and, and this theme kind of continues through the rest of these. In fact, if you look to the next case study, Jesus gets a little bit more personal, starts talking about adultery, and lust. When you look at someone lustfully, when you seek out images or videos or books, you are 100% objectifying that person. You're no longer treating them as a human being created and loved by the Father, but as an object to be used to gratify your own sinful desires. And anger and lust and pride. These things violate God's design for relationships. They grieve the Holy Spirit and they dehumanize people who have been made in the image of God, people who are loved and cared for by him just as much as you are loved and cared for. That's why our pro-life team is taking part of the rally for life next Sunday at 2 p.m. at the courthouse. We believe that every life matters, even life as, as young as in the womb, even the life of the mother whose, whose womb that child is growing in. And we want to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves because God loves and cares for them just as much as he loves and he cares for us. And listen, Jesus here is not trying to put all of these things on, on equal playing field. Adultery is worse than lust, just like murder is worse than anger. But he's saying that murder grows from the seed of anger planted deeply within our hearts. Adultery is the last stop on the train that begins with lust in our hearts that leads to flirtation, that leads to desire, that leads to action. And a person who cultivates these things in their life is not the person who has the kingdom of God planted firmly, deeply, in the center of their soul. And so what can we do? How can we live this righteous life that God desires? Well, it starts with, starts with a new heart. That that if we want to be good people who live the good life, the best life, we don't simply need more restraint. We don't need more rules. Now listen, self-discipline is good, but it's not the end all be all. We need the love of God to flood our souls and overflow to those around us. We need the evil in our hearts to be washed out by the goodness of God and his kingdom. And it starts by continually crucifying ourselves, dying to ourselves 
so that he can begin to live in us more. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 2, 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the newness of life in him. It's not his new life, it's Jesus' life in him. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We put to death our old self so that we can live with this new heart and transformed life that the spirit brings. And, and, and I want to deal with the symptoms, but Jesus is like, no, let's get to the source. Let's drill all the way down to the source and get to the heart. And when we surrender to him, when we daily take up our cross and follow him, we find that we start desiring what he desires, living how he lived. This takes us to the next step. We take on new actions. Real change begins in the heart, but it doesn't end there. As our inner life is transformed, then our behaviors will start to to follow. Our defaults will actually become the the way of thinking and feeling and acting that line up with with God's character and and the kingdom. And somebody push back on that and say, well, it's not up to us. Only grace can transform us. But I, I like what Dallas Willard says in his book, The Great Omission. He writes, grace, which is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. We can't earn God's grace. That's the hope of the gospel, that that there's nothing that we can do to, to be loved by God, but he lavishes it on us anyway. We cannot earn God's grace, but living out the grace that we have received requires new actions new efforts. Jesus even points to this in our, in our text in verse 23. He kind of creates this, this example and he says, you know, say that you go to, to, to worship one Sunday morning and you're sitting there uh, watching, you know, the, the excellent video loops that, that Tim Boyd puts, uh, Tim Bedwell puts together, uh, pre-service. And, 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 and while you're sitting there, there's something that pops up and you're like, oh man, you know what? I remember uh, that my, my coworkers pretty angry with me. It's something that, that I said, something that I did. There's, there's brokenness in, in, in a relationship. And what Jesus says is, is what you need to do in that moment. Like if, you, if you're sitting there ready to worship and you remember that some, someone has something against you, pick up your coat, go back out to your car, make a phone call, go and make a visit and then reconcile that relationship and then come back to worship. And some of you are like, yeah, but, but you don't know what that person did. You don't know how that person hurt me, and, and, and you're right. Listen, you may not be able to restore that relationship. And in fact, it may not even be in your best interest to try to restore that relationship. But you do need to find a way to reconcile it, to forgive, to ask for forgiveness. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And he once said that uh, we must develop and maintain the capacity to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There is some good in the worst of us, praise God. (laughs) And there is some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. 
See, God doesn't want to just eliminate the sin in our life. He wants to give us the ability to move towards others in love. He wants to totally transform us. If you're not right with someone else and it's not right in your heart and you're not right with the Lord, God deeply cares for you. He deeply cares for your heart. Your actions can change, but God wants to transform your heart, which then leads to those transformed actions. We can live out our righteousness in the way that we live and we act. We can be good people who do good things, who live the good life, people who love God and love others the way that God desires for us. And it's not that we ought to live this way, it's that we can live this way by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit living and moving and working inside of us. And all of this heart change happens when we surrender our lives to the Lord and we confess him. The Apostle Paul, John says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, look, from all unrighteousness. When we confess Jesus as Lord, when we confess to one another our sin and we seek forgiveness, we begin to find the righteous life that God desires and that we can live by grace faith in him. Would you stand with me and I'll close this in prayer. Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us even today. And Father, I was reminded this last week that uh, the Holy Spirit's a much better preacher than I am and has a desire to do something in our hearts and our lives that, that maybe we can't even imagine right now. And so, Father, I pray that you will take uh, whatever it is I've said today and weed out the things that were from me and really plant deeply the things that were from you. Because, Lord, we desire to be more like Jesus, to take the righteousness that we've received in him and to live it out. Not so that others see us and praise us, but so that others see you and praise you, God, in the way that we live and love and act. And so, God, may deeper morality that we are searching for that leads to the good life, may, may we find that in you and may you form that in us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.